0: Yeah, and I'll, um, before I ask Jamie to tell me a little bit more about his take on on all that, I, I can definitely confirm that the government reads our stuff because I just got off the phone with Boris Johnson and he's going, "Since God was, well, any serious there." <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another Telecoms.com podcast. What is it? Week ten or eleven of the lockdown? Uh, in fact, we were chatting, weren't we guys that they might let us they might let us back in the office in about a month, so maybe by week fourteen or something we'll be in the same room together. wearing um, face masks, yeah, wearing face masks and and generally sort of i don't know looking away from each other. It's not gonna be quite the same, is it um So uh, what are we going to chat about this week? So Jamie and I, you were were too busy doing important things, Ian. So Jamie and I did a cheeky one on Monday. Um, And uh, now that you're back, I think we're going to chat. Both you and Jamie uh, covered, uh, in fact, all three of us have covered stories involving NEC, who we don't talk about very much in the telecoms context, but we suddenly are now, so that's worth flagging up. Uh, Then the sort of mega trend of tech balkanization uh, had a fair few stories associated with it this week. So I think we'll move on to that. Uh, and then lastly, uh, slightly overlapping with that topic, but with some other news as well, we will talk a bit about the Indian telecoms market. And just to remind you that if you're watching this on the site or on YouTube or on Facebook, you can listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, and loads of other pop- cod- blah, blah uh, podcasting platforms. It was going so well. <laughs> That's going to go in the trailer, isn't it, Pierre? I know it. Right. Um, so I should probably stop talking as I've forgotten how to. I'm going to pass the ball. Or why don't we, Ian, as you were uh, as you were included in the last one? I'll pass the ball to you first. Uh, tell us a little bit about NEC and Rakuten and what you've been covering there.
1: Yeah, I mean they the big news ann- announced was well, a couple of big news announcements this week, um, which I. I didn't actually cover either of them, but I'm sort of aware of what's going on. Oh, but they've had a, they, had a, they had a big sort of press conference earlier in the week and they announced NEC as their, as their 5G core partner, basically, um, which sort of builds on a relationship they've already got because um, NEC is playing a pretty big role on the radio side already. They're one of the companies that's building the 5G radios for, for um, the Rakuten rollout. Uh, and then they 've also popped up apparently in discussions about the uk uh, This is all based on i think bloomberger originally got the scoop um, that they, that the uk governments that sort have of reached out and held discussions with them as well as Samsung about you know, bringing in companies uh, as an alternative to Huawei, um, which yeah, area so they'd, they'd come into is in, unclear. But, yeah, sorry, go on, Scott.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't realise that you hadn't specifically covered that because I was chatting to you about it, and and you're so knowledgeable, I just assume you had covered it. But, um, <laughs> but Jamie did for us. So before I ask him to sort of dig down into that specific story a bit more, Ian, yeah. I I haven't really, in the six years I've been doing, I just had recently my six-year anniversary of this job. only knew because people on LinkedIn we're going. Oh, well done. Um, I haven't really covered NEC much as a yeah. as a telecoms vendor. So perhaps you can give us a bit of a background about NEC well, and whether have, we should be taking have been it more there. seriously. I
1: mean, they're two. like Fujitsu is another one that's sort of been there, but not. Uh, you know, it's not sort of um, its name doesn't come up that much because the market's so heavily skewed these days. So you only ever really hear about. The big three and if you're not hearing about the big three you hear about the next two which is samsung and said the big three being ericsson huawei and nokia which i think you're talking about radio i think the estimates vary but i think uh, vodafone was saying they reckon they've got up to sort of 80 percent of the ran market and then most of the rest of it's filled by mm-hmm. zt and samsung and then you've got these smaller companies coming along trying to do interesting things with open ran which we talk about quite a lot on this podcast you know as a sort of more disaggregated round where you can have more companies coming in and doing bits of it. Uh, but NEC's been there and, and they're interesting at the moment because they've, they've sort of been, I mean, it's very much linked to Open Round. Rakuten has kind of picked them as like a local champion of that technology and a company that can come along and help it do all these exciting things with its Greenfield network in Japan. Um, and it gives them a stature that perhaps they didn't have up beforehand because Rakuten's so closely watched around the world because it's this you know, it's the first example of a kind of greenfield network in a highly developed market, you know, being built nationally using, you know, all this modern cloud native stuff. It's not just open RAN. It's the whole kind of core side of it as well. Everything's sort of everything's supposed to be disaggregated and making more use of open source and software and cloud technologies. So because they're, because they're being linked with this so strongly, um, they've, they've kind of got this higher profile, I think, than they have. They've done pretty well on the marketing side out of it. Um, and you kind of sense that other companies. I mean, I remember talking to them a few weeks ago when Rakuten was originally, um, you know, announcing plans about its 4G launch and its 5G launch. And they, even then, they were saying they were kind of getting expressions of interest from other operators. So you, you kind of wonder whether the, um, you know, the UK government's probably been aware of this. Might even read have read some of the stories that you guys and, and we've written and that we've written about NEC and what it's doing with. Rakuten you know they're, they're kind of obviously paying attention to the whole open round thing because it's so political in the states and you know they're in they're in quite if, if that technology can work if it can be proven you know they're in quite a good position I think to sort of come in as one of the players trying to take advantage of it um, and what's happened this week on the on the core network side with racketson's interesting as well because you know, that market isn't quite as dominated, but it's still heavily skewed towards a few players. I think Del Oro, which is a kind of ma- main sort of market research forecasting, you know, institution that gets taken seriously by the vendors that I think they were saying this week that Ericsson and Huawei together have about half of that mobile core market. And then another quarter is accounted for by, um, you know, by the other guys like Nokia, ZT and Samsung. So for, Cisco. Cisco as well. Sorry, Cisco is very much in there. But for, for Rakuten to come along, having worked actually with Cisco on the 4G side and pick NEC, you know, it's kind of similar to what happened with the Radio Access Network, where they've been working with Nokia to some extent on 4G. And then they've kind of gone for this local champion that they're saying is, you know, it's cheaper, it's doing things in a more kind of agile way than the the other vendors that have been using. So it's brilliant, brilliant marketing for them. Yeah. Kind of interesting move in terms of what it means for the Development of the market and the vendor makeup, and just quite interesting because of the, because of those two things, I think.
0: Yeah, and I'll, um, before I ask Jamie to tell me a little bit more about his take on on all that, I, I can definitely confirm that the government reads our stuff because I just got off the phone with Boris Johnson and he was going, "Since Scott was really serious was uh, <laughs> no. almost great like great Matt Lucas."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, <laughs> uh, in fact, it was Matt Lucas. Uh, he's really into telecoms. Um, but Jamie, you picked an interesting anyway i 'm going to pick up on the on the u k angle with NEC in a sec, but Jamie, your angle was uh, your headline was recruiting takes the first step towards a hybrid operator slash vendor telco why don 't you tell us a little bit more about that angle
2: yeah well, i mean this is part of although you know, obviously the the uh, the open run network and building a network from scratch um, at recruiting is a very very interesting development um, but for me I think the most interesting element of this entire um, uh, sort of movement is the creation of a new type of company. Now, obviously, uh, recruiting has not been shy about the fact that it said, you know, if we can make this work, we're going to sell it to other people. Um, so you're effectively going to have a a telco operator which sells subscriptions to uh, consumers in Japan, so it, op- it operates as a traditional MNO, M- M- but then it also sells networking platforms, which are software-defined, um, as would you know a virtualized net, uh, operator, uh, sorry, a uh, vendor. So you got this—you got this telco which just doesn't exist today. It's—it's—it's it, it, it's, it's creating its own network, but then it's actually selling how it develops the network and it sells selling the technology to potential rivals now you know I, I just think that's a really really interesting dynamic um a lot of people might say that you know you, you're you blunting your swords and you, you you're eroding your edge if you sell you know you sell the family jewels but you know very very few other networks can take a fully virtualized fully software orientated approach like Rakuten. Um, it'll be bit parts, you know, they're buying, you know, they're buying an aspect of the core that they can implement in their own market, or, you know, some sort of backhaul solution or something about carrying a billing or aggregation. You know, you're buying different components, but you're marrying it with legacy. So no one's going to be able to do this entirely sort of open greenfield cloud approach to delivering networks like recruiting can. Um, which is why I think it's confident enough that it can sell these ideas to potential rivals, and I think that's a. I don't think there's many other telcos who would have the stomach to actually do that. Um,
0: you know, no, they're, they're still run by traditional guys. And, and as you say, you know, it makes you think, why hasn't it happened before? And as you say, the reason it happened before is because everyone else is doing more or less the same thing, just a bunch of different off the peg. Um, bits of sort of BSS, OSS, this, that, and the other, plumbing, as I like to call it, and, and whacking it all together, but not necessarily in, in a an amazingly unique way, whereas they are, and that thus they've got something that's marketable. And the other thing that's probably worth pointing out, Jamie, is outside of Japan, of course, they, they wouldn't be selling to direct rivals. I suppose the IP could find its way back to SoftBank or Docomo or whatever. Um, do you know if they're... If they're in any way prohibiting their direct Japanese rivals from buying this stuff as well?
2: No, I don't think so. I don't think they could um, um, get away with doing that, um, to be honest. No. I bet you there's some sort of competition law or antitrust law that says you can't pick and choose your customers like that. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I see I see consolidation happening um, across the industry, um, internationally as well, especially with... Uh, uh, in, in, especially with these new um, sort of greenfield markets emerging, like like if Rakuten uh, creates uh, create, uh, does this product and does it well and creates a really successful business, which undercuts the market, and you know the, the work that Ian's been doing. Is incredibly profitable because you haven't got thousands of engineers you have to pay in the in the back end, and you can roll out updates super quick. And be you know you can be sleek and savvy. Why on earth could, shouldn't it? Um, uh, couldn't it launch in another market? You know, there's there's absolutely no reason why it couldn't go. Well, we can take the exact same model that we've used in Japan, and I don't know. Let's 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 do it in Germany. Why not? You know, we could, we could. Uh, there, there is absolutely no reason because let's not forget, Japan uh, recruiting isn't a traditional telco. It's basically Japan's version of AWS, isn't? It? Uh, sorry, of of Amazon. It's a, it's an internet player. It's super savvy, so it thinks differently than traditional telcos. So and and the likes of Amazon, Google. Baidu Alibaba Rakuten, they don't think about borders they just think about tech as a, as a way to make money so so why shouldn't they think about launching this product yeah. in another market under their own brands
0: and uh, so the NEC um, you two can correct me if I got this wrong I think their work with is mainly in the core is that right
2: this product that we're talking about this week specifically yeah. is they're doing it they, they've launched a containerized standalone core
1: products core, core and earlier on they were announced as a radio partner right of course yeah you said so the announcement this week's just about the core but they're, they're making the um they're basically developed so they're they're doing like a they're an example of open ran. they're providing uh, radio units uh for 5g uh, on certain spectrum bands which i won't say because i can't i've been told before by the cto but i can't remember off the top of my okay. head and altia star software is basically running over that
0: right so the thing I'm leading up to is we, we haven't chatted about NEC much. I just had a little look on on the on the tag NEC on telecoms.com and, and before the couple of stories we wrote uh, this week, I don't think we'd written about them for about a year or two. Um, is, it be, is it specifically this open RAN development that is making NEC much more viable and a much more prominent player? Or is it also the other thing I'm wondering? And this is kind of overlapping with the second segment, but it's relevant: the fact that NEC is Japanese, and so there's a degree of sort of. I think it's. National yeah, champion. I think it's
1: both. I think it's both, and I think it's interesting they've gone for in the core. You know, where there's more sensitivity, arguably, you know, we've we've seen restrictions that. Uh, introduced there already by operators themselves in the uk you know vodafone and bt very sort of resistant to having chinese vendors in the core bt's been working on getting huawei out of that area for a while even before everything that was, you know, that's been going on in the last few months and european commission's more concerned about that area i think there's you know i think um picking a, a local player is much more sort of um uh, palatable perhaps i think on that in that respect so i think that's probably helped them there um and they're very key. The I mean, got- you, you you listen to uh, Ra- uh, Tarak Amin in um, press conferences. He's very much into the whole, he's not Japanese himself, but he's very much into sort of trying to promote Japan as a place that does really high tech technology. And there seems to be a slightly sort of nationalistic angle coming out sometimes. In it's almost like he's been tasked with doing something with local expertise as much as possible. Uh, there's not a lot of Japanese technology apart from NEC, but they do have a very prominent role. I mean, you look at the vendor list they've got, which is huge. Actually, most of the players are US, most of the partners are US companies. But uh, the uh, the other important thing to note is one of those US companies, which is um, again very very key in the project, Altisar, is a company that Rakuten has a majority stake in. So right. so even there they have, and then and then on the BSS side, you know, again a really important part of the network. Who is it? It's NEC, whose owner, sorry, it's um, Netcracker, whose owner is NEC. Right, so, right,
0: right.
1: So there, there, I think there is this sort of, I think it's two things. I think, yeah, Open RAN, in the same way that it gives players like Mavenir and players in other parts of the value chain an opportunity to get into a market that's really been dominated by a handful of players, yeah, that helps NEC as well. But I think there's a, I think there's a, yeah, there's a kind of local champion side to this as well. Yeah.
2: I think the other thing you've got to think about as well is that when you actually work, this sort of work, it kind of makes sense to work with someone who's in your country as well. I mean... you're on the same time zone if you want to go to their offices to talk about projects they're just around the corner culturally i mean let's not forget that japan culturally is a very 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 different place from almost everywhere in the world they've got a very very unique culture so so if you're gonna have a project work smoothly it's probably get best to bring in Another company who understands that culture, how Japanese uh, businessmen operate, how they think, how 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 businesses actually function. I mean, it kind of makes sense just to go with a local player. Um, And to be perfectly honest, there's well, the other reason, the other thing is, why not? I mean, there's no. There's there's no leadership table here. I mean, anyone you know, you've got the likes of Mavenir and Parallel Wireless, and all you know, those companies saying that we're the best in the world, and um, well, prove it. There's no evidence. Um, you know, your product isn't in any live commercial networks at the moment, and if it is, it's had so little exposure to heavy or strain, you can't actually prove that your product is better. Um, you know, it's all it's all marketing fluff at the moment. Um, you know, so. There, there is no wrong decision. Um, realistically, yeah, recruiting is probably going to fail. And, it, th- and uh, most of the time, the first yeah. time that people do it, it
1: usually it goes wrong. Yeah. No, I, t- I totally agree on the cultural side. And, and, and actually he was on, a, um, I mean, that's a really interesting point, because he was on a symposium that like, Reading did yesterday, Tarik Amin, talking about the core and uh, and it's very clear that they sort of view this relationship with NEC, not in the traditional kind of operator vendor way. You know, we do an RFP and then someone comes in. They're very much sort of presenting them as technology partners. Now, to make a relationship like that work it's you know, as Jamie's saying, very, very helpful to have a local partner, someone who's down the road, someone who understands the kind of cultural norms of the market you're working in and all this sort of thing. Um, and it's, and like you said, we're pushing them really hard to do things that haven't been done before. You know, and expressing quite a bit of dissatisfaction actually with with the, the way things have. How do I put it? I mean, he's basically saying the network they've got at the moment, the one that's kind of been built based on the 4G core, and it's very virtualized, but it's not. It hasn't gone far enough. Basically, a lot of the virtual machines they're using, it's not. You know, it's not containerized yet. You know, they've re- and they've really had to kind of drive NEC towards doing some of this stuff for them. Well, it's a lot easier to do that when, you know, when you're working with someone in the same market, someone who understands things the same way that you do.
0: Yeah. Um, And as you touched on, NEC, this has helped its profile no end. And the UK government, as according to, as you say, the Bloomberg story that I read on South China Morning Post, Partly so I didn't use up my feeble allocation of like three Bloomberg stories a, a month I could look at without having to pay them. Um, uh, yeah, the the government's been chatting to NEC about getting its help with five G, and it's an interesting story because some of the premises of the story were a little bit flawed. For example, they were saying that no no one vendor can replace Huawei. Well. You know, certainly Ericsson and Nokia do everything in, in wireless that Huawei does, to the best of my knowledge. So that was a weird premise. Um, and, uh, yeah, and there were just one or two other things that just gave me the impression that the piece was written by maybe a business of politic political journalist, but not a telecoms journalist.
1: Oh, I think on, that's... Go uh... on, yeah, Sorry. I mean, I think that's something that you see quite a lot when Huawei's written about, and that's the that's the Huawei machine at work to some extent. I think uh, speaking to journalists, and I mean, we have got to be careful here. They are a technology leader. Yeah, there's no doubt that Huawei yeah. does things extremely well. They have very advanced technology. You talk to analysts in some areas; they're clearly seen as being ahead. Is it, you know, is it irreplaceable? No, you know, it's not like you can't build a network without Huawei because a lot of operators have done it, and it's not just in America. You have other countries, other operators that are far less reliant on huawei so to suggest that you could i mean i think the main issue for a lot of the uk operators is i mean there's two things one is if they have to get rid of it immediately that just that really leaves them in the lurch you know it's it's yeah. you know they need they need nick reed with vodafone was sort of alluding to this and vodafone's apparently very very heavily dependent on huawei across europe um i've been hearing but you know he was saying you know sort of saying we need time really to to, to adjust we can't just be told that it has to go it needs to be you know, a process that happens over a certain amount of time. Um, and, you know, there are costs involved in in replacing a vendor of that size that, that serves so much of your market. So I think that's one issue for them. Another one is they don't want to lose the competition. You know, Huawei's come in and offered extremely good products at very competitive rates. You know, started off being regarded as a kind of copycat, just ripping off Western innovation. I don't think anybody would regard it as a copycat these days in, in areas like Massive MIMO. And, and some of this stuff they're you know, they're, they're very much seen as the leader. So if you lose them as a competitor and you go, you know, in a market that's already very consolidated, what are you talking about? You've only really got Ericsson and Nokia as options, which isn't a position anybody wants to be in. So those those are the main concerns, I think. But yeah, to, think, to say it's irreplaceable is, you know, is is just sort of really exaggerating it.
0: Yeah, it seems a bit hyperbolic. And, and whether or not they'd had uh, Huawei's PR people whispering in their ears or not, we won't know. Um Although I should note that Huawei is also setting up a briefing, I think, next week where they want to chat about recent developments. To so the best of my knowledge, they haven't specified what they are, but my best guess would be it would be this UK um, review. And, um, yeah, I mean, that kind of brings us on to the balkanization topic because, you know, whether or not the story is true remains to be seen. Um and whether or not the government should be chatting to NEC as opposed to someone else is is up for debate. But there's also the fact, why should the government be poking its nose into this shit at all? Um, you know, my my issue with, with governments poking their nose into markets, other than just a, a free market purist point of view, is they're not very good at it. You know... The, the whole point of, of a free market is it's the most efficient allocation of capital because companies with a massive stake in, in the partic- in the area they're involved in, answerable to shareholders with all these fiduciary responsibilities, will tend to make, and I'll say tend to because obviously there are plenty of examples of them making bad choices, but will tend to make the best choice for their commercial circumstances. Um, and so you'd think, for example, if NEC... Was such a, a brilliant call then we would have um then we'd have all the uk operators getting ch- chatting to them independently without the need for the government to sort of catalyze the whole process
1: yeah i thought it was a bit odd as well i mean I don't, I don't know what it's all reported obviously by bloomberg so we don't really know what's happened and whether it's just a sort of attempt by the government to establish whether these are viable alternatives before it does anything that might you know limit competition uh and it's really just a sort of inquiry or or whether it's something i mean certainly if the government's going out and trying to pick technology companies that should come in and be directed to work with vodafone say or bt that would be really really strange um yeah and also yeah and you wonder why they can't get this i mean this is presumably why they have so many conversations with the operators themselves you know is it you know, is it via, this is presumably why they imposed the restrictions that they did, you know, 35%, but still allowing Huawei a role was, I'm guessing, based on long conversations with people like Vodafone and BT, where those operators were saying, well, we can't, you know, we can't just get rid of them, we're going to end up setting 5G back a couple of years, we're going to end up having to spend quite a lot of money on ripout costs, which they've already incurred as a result of that decision. I think BT is saying about 500 million, isn't it, over the next few years to replace Huawei. So... So there's, it was like a compromise, really, that, 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 that was made, I'm guessing, after they have spoken with the operators. And the operators know the market. They know what equipment's available. They know whether NEC's viable. They know whether Samsung is. They're looking at all these options, I'm sure. So, why, yeah, I agree. Why is the government approaching those players rather than approaching the service providers and, and relying on them to make the inquiries they yeah. will be making?
0: And, and I think the answer to that question is just political posturing. Um, You know, and this is the problem. I understand why they need to politically posture because, well, well, not presumably, we know they've been coming under loads of heat from the US ever since they made the the decision back in January about Huawei. And that heat will have intensified with coronavirus and the increasing um, uh, bad press that China as a country has got uh, in response to how transparent it was at the early stages of uh, of the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so they're obviously having a rethink. Quite a lot of Tory MPs have been having a strop about it as well. I still maintain my position even now that if the government's best advice was that there's a, a threshold at which they could manage the security threat, then they were right to follow that advice. But I have to concede that there there are political considerations. You know, it's it's also interconnected. We've got Brexit. We're looking to make new trade deals. Not a great time to be pissing off the Americans. All that sort of stuff, um, so they're obviously under political pressure to be seen to be doing something, and on top of whether or not at the end of a review, they decide now nah, we 're not going to let Huawei be a vendor in any five g networks at all, which, as we 've discussed many times will be will make life very difficult for some of the u k operators, certainly if they 're not given sufficient time to to do the business um they presumably are chatting to NEC just to say, look, look how proactive we're being, look how involved we're being. We're looking at everything. And they're echoing the US um efforts to look at Open RAN as a as a sort of as a sort of panacea for for solving this this over dependency for your communications network on, on vendors from countries you don't like. So so that's where I think they're coming from there. Um and uh, so on the topic of sort of balkanization and telecoms networks, we think that's probably worked in Ericsson's favour to some extent, don't we? I mean, I wrote about this, but I think you've had a look at it as well, Ian. Um, they got a nice deal win in in Canada and, and a couple of other
1: things have gone their way. Why don't you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, well, they got two there's two deal wins in Canada. There's TELUS and BCE. TELUS actually named I hope I'm gonna get this the right way around. I think TELUS named Nokia and as 5G suppliers. Um, BCE uh, named Ericsson uh, and I as I understand it both companies have worked with Huawei in the 4G days so you, you, you know you, nat- you sort of alarm bells ring when you see that happening because it sounds like they're replacing Huawei and moving, moving in the, the kind of Nordic vendors instead um, I, I'm not sure it's 100% clear that's happened I mean I've I, I got in touch with Bell Canada and they were saying I mean, they they sort of sent me a statement saying we would consider using Huawei in 5G if we get explicit permission from the Canadian government, which is obviously the Canadian government has been under pressure the same way the yeah. UK one has from the US as a member of Five Eyes not to use Huawei at all. You know, it sounds like, um, you know, similar things been going on over there, kind of bit of toing and froing about what they should do. Um, but then again, you make a decision like this. It almost sounds like you've moved ahead. You've decided to do something, and and you know, kind of take a firm decision about which vendors you're going to introduce. And yeah, why well, it wasn't they can't mentioned. sit and wait for the government, can they? They can't just keep waiting. They have to move ahead and do something. So, you know, and I think you heard as well, Scott. You you got something from them about the yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you side. that I yeah. I just
0: asked Ericsson when I was writing the story. Um, and credit to you, this this was prompted by a sort chat I was I'd had with you prior to that. And, and I asked them if the, if the contract, this is specifically the Bell Canada one, if the contract significantly expanded their market share with Bell compared to what they had with 4G, and they confirmed that it does. They didn't give any specifics. But there's clearly been a market share shift at Bell Canada in favour of Ericsson with this deal.
1: Yeah. And and tell us, I got in touch with the um, uh, CTO directly, actually, because he, he's come to a few of our events in the past. So... I just emailed him and he, he didn't want to comment, but uh but they've um at least he got back and said I don't want to comment because it's obviously a <laughs> bit sensitive, but he but they've basically announced Nokia and Ericsson. So it's kind of a rare instance actually for where Nokia's been named recently and, and Huawei seems to have lost out. You know, a lot of these win a lot of these swaps that have been happening. I put a little table together in the story I'd done where there's quite a number now of cases where Ericsson's come in as the as a vendor that has sort of replaced Huawei. You know, this, uh, Huawei even mentioned this on its earnings call earlier in the year, they sort of admitted the deals they'd lost. And it's always been Ericsson that's come in. And it's just in a good situation at the moment, Ericsson. I mean, it's got this this thing going, it never wants to comment on this, obviously, it doesn't want to get involved in the geopolitics because it, it wants to be friends with everybody. And it's got a big, big business in China to sort of worry about. But yeah. they've done a pretty good job of, of getting things together on the 5G side under new management. You know, they've got a product that's regarded as very competitive, They've got all this backlash going on against Huawei, which puts them in a really good position as a vendor you come and choose. And at the same time, Nokia's had this, you know, couple of years now of problems on its 5G product roadmap. It's had these difficulties that yeah. have been widely reported, and things haven't been going very well. So, if you think they're the only three really, real sort of viable options on a, on a kind of global scale, they're in, you know, an open RAN still not really ready for prime time. You know, it's going to be a while before anybody can, you know, aside from a couple of cases like Rakuten maybe and Dish. They're in a great position, Ericsson, at the moment, you know, if yeah. this kind of carries so they on should to, to sort of on. pick up business. So when they were saying earlier in the year, we, we were kind of quite optimistic about this year, despite all the rubbish that's going on with the pandemic and the economic slowdown, I was pretty sceptical. I mean, I think I wrote something saying I I can't see it. And I was I was sort of thinking that there's going to be quite a big slowdown, I think, in 5G investments in some markets. I, th- I think that's still going to happen. But I think they can probably pick up enough stuff elsewhere. You know, got this Canadian business coming. There's still quite a lot of momentum in the U.S. They did better in China than I think some people were expecting. Where where Nokia lost very badly. They're in, they're in quite a good situation at the moment. Ericsson.
0: And uh, did you mention? Did we mention Telefonica Deutschland as well? Because that was at the start of the week. We didn't. No, that's that's yeah. another
1: one. Yeah, that's more, that's on the core side. And again, on the on the core network side, they seem to have been doing quite well. You know, as the, that's as the player Ericsson that's win, come in, Ericsson. Yeah. So they they had a deal with uh, BT for a while. Has been looking for a replacement for Huawei, and um, we I, we knew that they were actually looking at Cisco and Nokia as well. That had been confirmed, but Ericsson was chosen as the vendor to come in there. And then Telefónica Deutschland has also picked. I think it was this week, wasn't it? Start of the week, they've they've named Ericsson basically as the, as the, as the kind of 5G core supplier. So, so they do, yeah, it's not just the radio they're doing well and they're doing pretty well on the, on the, on the kind of core network side of things as well.
0: Okay. And we should actually, it reminds me, we've we've been talking about um, people sort of pushing back on China, but Jamie, it's Jamie who um, wrote about that Telefonica Deutschland thing, but he included it in a broader story about 5G core networks. And, and, and Jamie, you said that, um, China's leading the way there based on some Deloro numbers. So that we've still got some catching up to do. Is that is that how we see it?
2: Yeah, well if you actually have a look at the at the where the, the the big acceleration in 5G is, um it is it is China. Um and you know, and you know there's you do you obviously have multiple cores um uh, in 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 a in a network i mean sort of like the actual physical product you know you, we designate it as what as the the core as a singularity but you actually have more than more than one um if you look at the you know the, the sheer size of china and the the distribution of its population um you know the the, the, the there's just more money to be made there you know but Ian, I think you've 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 said it numerous times that you know, the 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 RAN market is going to be sixty percent Chinese companies or something like that. Um, you know this goes for every other segment of the telco market as well. It may not be as aggressively uh, as aggressive as sixty percent, but you know fiber for backhaul. Um, you know you're going to have to put if you if you're going to make five G work everywhere, you need to have full fiber um, as. Well, not everywhere, but for, as far as possible. And the sheer size of China means that there's going to be some big, big, big optical contracts um, on the horizon for the likes, of, you know, for, for China Telecom, for this China Broadcast Network. Um, so yeah, so you know, Evan, the, the the it's. It's, it's kind of like patents, you know, the, the the sheer volume of commercial contract wins is largely irrelevant unless you're actually uh, dining at the top table with the biggest contracts. So this is where Samsung has got a significant advantage at the moment in that Chinese companies are banned from the U.S. The U.S. is a massive market as well. So Samsung can make a lot of money if it can get into bed with the right companies Um, You know, the same could be said with um, um, uh, Canada. You know, it's another massive, massive market. Um, So, yeah, so, you know, you've got to look at these key contracts and Canada, US, India, um, Russia and China, you know, these huge populations geographically, geographically vast and the number of base stations is going to be humongous. Whoever's winning those contracts are going to be the most profitable countries. It might be great to win, you know, three's um, ran contracts, but realistically, that's probably at most. Let's say, even if they have um, network um, uh, expansion and um, uh, and they, they um, uh, what do they call it when you make it more? Um, I can't remember the word. The term, um, but if you put more base stations in a smaller area, capacity, densification. Densification. <laughs> that's all right. Um even Damn if you have e- expansion and densification <laughs> strategies, you're still probably looking at a max of twenty to twenty-five thousand base stations in the UK. Now, twenty-five to twenty-five thousand base stations, when you look at the size of some of these, these cities out in China, you know, that's how that's a contract. I mean, it's um it's mental. It's mental. So that's so yeah, so so Irrelevant of how many international contracts you you have, unless you're winning the big ones, you're not going to be you're not going to be the number one in the market.
0: And uh, yeah, you you mentioned India, and I'm going to invite you to talk a little bit more about the Indian market to to finish as our last segment. But there's a there was an interesting sort of symbol of the Balkanization mega trend in India this week which was there was an app um, available in India, and it was called Remove China Apps. And the purpose of the app was just to identify Chinese apps and help you remove them. Now, it was up for about a couple of weeks, and then Google took it down, ostensibly because the Android T's and C's say apps that that help you get rid of other apps are not allowed. Whether or not that was the only reason or whether or not China had a word We won't know. Um, but and before it was taken down, at at one stage it was the number one trending Android download in the whole of India. And I think it's downloaded something like five million times. I had a little look at the page of the developer, and they made reference to a recent speech by the Indian premier Modi, where he was talking about a, a sort of India first kind of strategy. So it's happening absolutely everywhere. And he's an India first strategy. A few weeks ago, they passed some law preventing um, the acquisition of Indian companies by any country they have a a land border with, which is very clearly directed at um, China, with all due respect to Nepal and Afghanistan. Um, So they're really retrenching. And and there's been a – talking about the border, there's actually been some border agro between um, India and China a place called the Galwan Valley, I think it was, which is up in that part of the world where about four or five different stands all, all border with China and India. You know, that part of the world that sort of Genghis Khan used to go through on his way to battering Europe. Um, I think is <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever seen um, a film called The Man Who Would Be King. Uh, it's that kind of part of the Sean world. Sean Connery,
1: isn't it? And yeah, Michael exactly. Kane. Sean yeah. Connery
0: and Michael Caine. Exactly, classic film. Um, I think Sean Connery ended up marrying the the actress. And anyway, bit of a tangent there. Oh uh, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's that Shakira. part of the world, and yeah, something like that. And and they've been they've been aggroing over that. And you know, it's not like it's of geopolitical significance. It's not like there's oil there. It's not like there's vineyards there. It looks like a, a fairly sort of um, mountainous, scrappy bit of land, but it's. It seems to be the belligerent, from what I read. Granted, this was a in in of Indian origin, so it could be biased. The belligerent was China. They were doing some saber rattling. They were sort of like sticking their toe over the border and going, "What are you going to do about it?" And this seems to be consistent with a with a general bit of a, a raising of sort of Chinese argy bargy, you know, things like the, those islands in the in the China South China Sea and all that sort of stuff that they get up to. So, so yes, I just thought that app was a really interesting manifestation because Modi's speech about India first, I'm paraphrasing, he didn't specifically say that. He didn't say, make India great again, <laughs> and, and with a red cap on. Um, but there's a bit of that sentiment going on, and the Indians seem to be taking it quite seriously because they seem to be, on the evidence of that app, quite keen on getting rid of chinese apps from their phones so that's just a, yet another bit of circumstantial evidence of this balkanization mega trend but i'm going to um on the subject of india i, I think you know it probably it is arguably the most exciting uh telecoms market in the world right now i'm going to invite jamie to tell us a little bit more about w- w- whether he agrees and if so why
2: um yeah
0: yeah um no, there's a, there's
2: just a lot going on with the telcos at the moment. I mean obviously the uh, the uh geo is a, a very disruptive player, um, but there's been a lot of investment in the, the telecommunications companies um from sort of international investors, but most of uh, today in particular there's an Abu Dhabi investment fund, uh which has purchased one point eight five percent of geo platforms such as the um the, the the business unit of reliance industries which contains Reliance geo the telecommunications companies plus all the other digital ventures um but there's I mean the the, the, the fascinating thing I think about uh india is is just it, just its sheer weighty potential of it, and I and I was having to look, drill down to the numbers um, uh, uh, today for for while I was looking at the potential of Reliance Geo. Um When you actually have a look at the number of subscriptions, four uh, G subscriptions to start with, there's only seven hundred and fifty four million. Now that that is roughly, um, I'd say probably about. 55 to 60 percent market penetration for 4G, whereas most developed markets exceed something like 130 to anywhere up to sort of like 180 percent market penetrations in terms of the number of 4G SIM cards um, compared to to the, uh, the total population. So from a very basic level, there's still a significant number of SIM cards and contracts which can be sold to the Indian population. Huge amount of cash which can be made there even if the data is remarkably cheap. Um, but then the, the other really, really beautifully interesting part of this is once you've got connectivity, there is basically um, a free-for-all to develop the ecosystem after that, which I think is you know, where most people make their money. Think about you know, the, the telecommunications company makes X amounts for by selling a SIM card. But then everyone else who uses, uh, who is an internet company, makes 10x, um, but off the connectivity, the likes of Facebook, Airbnb, digital payment companies, you know, all these guys. And that doesn't exist yet in India. Um, and then the, the even Bigger opportunity, which I absolutely think is ridiculously fascinating, is a lack of traditional banking infrastructure. So if you know, we've already seen in, in, in developing markets in Africa where the lack of a traditional banking infrastructure can um, uh, result in, you know, the likes of Orange Money taking off um, and, you know, these sorts of initiatives. I can't remember what the Vodacom one is called or the Vodafone one. Um, there's a really, really popular Impeza's. one. Impeza, that's the one. Um, so it, there's some re- Yeah, I think it's a pair of trainers that I've ordered. Um, <laughs> but, but the, the, I mean, that's what... That is a massive opportunity for India because there's so many people and there's so little banking infrastructure give me two seconds I'll just, I'll just Have talk, you got to get talk a about a that point Juliet. yeah. oh no,
0: Juliet. Juliet's gone no, she's, oh no. she's beaten to it it's all good um, I was going to say I was wondering I if you're up and we're going to hear you chatting
2: to <laughs> the delivery guy um, yeah Juliet's gone so that's fine um, <laughs> new trainers it, cool. yeah. yeah I, yeah,
1: I, I got 10 litres of ale through, through today so that, that, you got what 10 litres okay? of ale Oh right, okay. Good man. I I, I haven't got any in it at the moment. No, so I've got they, some nought percenters. Two kegs straight from the brewery. Wow. <laughs> ja- <laughs>
0: Jamie and Ian going in opposite directions here. Yeah.
1: Uh, I I'm, no, I'm, I'm still running, running,
2: so I'm running it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I live I live just around the corner for you now, so I can pop round for a pint yeah, later off. You can if um, you want. Yeah. Excellent. You're more than welcome. Well, I, I'm a lab do so now as well. Um, uh, Where were you, the, Jamie? So yeah. So so I think I think the. There is a lot of money to be made if you just want to invest in a telco. But the beautiful thing about Reliance Geo is that um, Ambani seems to have this digital vision that you know telcos are the are the vehicle to take the Indian economy to these 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 digital fortunes through payment plans. Like he said, that he's going to partner with. Um, um, uh, WhatsApp and Facebook so they can start uh, creating products for SMEs so they can take payments online as opposed to dealing with traditional cash. You know, he's like the like the, the investor today that came in the Abu Dhabi Investment Fund also owns a satellite um, comms company. So in terms of international roaming for GEO and Filling in the the holes of the, the connectivity in the Indian rural countryside. That's a great partner to have as um, as as one of your investors. And I, I just think that there's so many there's so many like opportunities that can be can be made in India because everyone has uh, no one's really developed a digital ecosystem there. So yeah. democratizing connectivity through four G. You've still got forty percent of SIM cards to make, which is a shitload of money to be to be to be fighting over. And then off the back of that, whoever can land like the social media platform or be the you know the the next digital payments master or the you know if netflix can get in as the most popular um streaming partner to a billion you know to well, how many households are there like 2 300 million households or how many there is it, it, there's such a ridiculous amount of money there to be made yeah
0: no, I, I think you you're totally right there's so much latent potential and you look at what happened to china 10 or 20 years ago with with its boom that that was founded in large part on on digital um, that kind of potential. And that explains why we're seeing all these rumors. You know, Obviously, Facebook bought into geo-platforms a few weeks ago, and since then it's been mainly sort of uh, uh, venture capital. But we've had rumors about Google buying into Vodafone Idea. We've, this week we had rumor about Amazon buying into Barty Airtel. And so you're getting all these web-scale U.S. companies contemplating investing and and presumably it's exactly what jamie is describing just to have access to this this amazing potential um i mean the the remarkable thing about these sorry i just wanted this is one of the other things that i wanted
2: to point to because i've had a dig down into the numbers the remarkable thing about it is that in that reliance geo is so far ahead of the competition when it comes to actually um, collecting 4G subscriptions as well. If you actually have a look at um, market share, go from 1G to 5G, and it looks like Barty Airtel and Vodacom Idea are actually competing on a level peg um, with uh, Reliance Geo. But if you just narrow down the search to 4G subscriptions, they're getting blown out of the water. Yeah. Now, this is Omdia data, Um our sister companies, uh, which has been helping me out here. Um, Reliance Geo, uh, a forecast for 2021 to have 403 million um, um, uh, 4G subscriptions. Vodafone Idea, it's 110 million, and Barty Airtel is 219 million. So when you actually just look at the 4G market, the other two are just nowhere near Reliance Geo. So Facebook has got it. Even if like Amazon or want to buy into Barty Airtel or Google, that's the other rumor that's been around. Has been, is, is pitching two billion to uh, Vodafone Idea. They're so far behind at the moment; it, it, it becomes almost an impossibility to see them overturning this lead.
0: Yeah, I not. I mean, they. It's a challenge, but. You know, the cash the cash could help them do that. I think Indian market's probably I'd need to look at the data, so I'm making an assumption here, but I bet it's heavily prepaid. Um, which means there won't be too much subscriber stickiness. And and everything that benefited geo in the first place in terms of people defecting from the incumbents, because Geo was offering loads of free shit, could in theory happen back the other way. Um, it comes down to money and it feels like there's gonna be a money arms race, you know, if if one lot get two billion off Google, another get lot get two billion off Amazon. Suddenly, they're all chucking money into that, and I think that's probably great news for Indian consumers. Not just in terms of them being offered cheap services, but in terms of there being a vibrant sort of infrastructure build out on the back of all this extra cash they have. Yeah, but you got to
2: look at you got to look at what's actually happening at the moment. I mean, this is where the the I, I just can't see it being turned around because you look at the advantage that Reliance Geo has, and it's similar. It's not. It's nowhere near the same um, as Rakuten, but you know, you, you Reliance Better Geo platform, has been yeah. Bit, yeah, it's it's been building a network over the last what five, six, seven years. Barty Airtel, Vodafone, Idea, all these companies—they've had—they've had existing networks there that are reliant, sort of, that are clunky, they're horrible legacy networks, uh, which they all—they have to upgrade. You know, this is—it's—it's it's like taking the—I um, know it's not—it's not the same as recruiting, but it is similar. Um, and the other thing you got, got to consider is, you know, sheer volume of cash. Um, in, you know, Reliance Geo has collected $10 billion over the last seven weeks. Um, you know, $2 billion is a, is, a, is a scratch on that. But then also, like success compounds on success, 400 million um, 4G subscriptions to st- sell digital services on top of, that's a lot of money to be, to be reinvesting in compared to 200 million to sell digital services on top of. And Barty Airtel's digital service ecosystem isn't anywhere near as developed as the, um, uh, as the, the, the Reliance Geo one is. I think, I think it's just everything is stacked for Reliance Geo. And I just think that this whole disruptive strategy that has been in place over the last five years is just coming to a head now. And you just got to sit back and just go, wow. This guy knows what he's doing. And, mm. you know, Ambani, you've got to give him credit. This
0: is a remarkably good business. Yeah, and he's got a few rupees to chuck around, to be fair. Ian, do you reckon uh, the other two incumbents, Bartieto and Vodafone Idea, have got a fighting chance?
1: Maybe, maybe. I don't know. It's going to be hard for them, like Jamie says. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't help the sort of government. I mean, they would they would argue the government policy hasn't exactly been in their favour. And I think we, we've all written about this before, the sort of... Uh, display of favoritism to some extent towards geo it's almost like the um you know the indian government has has sort of set out to to punish the other players and Vodafone idea would certainly regard it that way as, as quite a sort of hostile environment i think um for you know companies from outside india maybe that ties in with what you're saying to some extent scott that there's there's kind of a sort of nationalistic streak going through uh indian government policy i think at the moment you know promotion of national champions and trying to favour kind of Indian companies and Reliance Geo is, you know, is the biggest Indian, part of the biggest Indian conglomerate. So they, they sort of lean towards it. So I think that's helped them to some extent. I think the network side, you know, as Jamie was saying, definitely, I remember meeting a couple of the guys quite senior on the network side at the TM forum event, I think a few years ago. And, you know, even then, I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not perhaps where Rakuten is, but that guy, the guy at Rakuten, Tariq Amin actually was the man who did, the um, the Geo network, you know, he's the guy who developed it all. So it's very very automated. It's um, I think they've talked about this in the past. They you know the same way that Rakuten thinks it can pass these cost savings onto customers and just have a kind of profitable business by undercutting rivals because its technology is so much more efficient. There's an element of that going on in India as well with Geo. They've talked about this, you know, the margins being a lot healthier from a kind of you know network perspective and what they can sort of offer over the top of the network. So they've got they've got a lot of advantages I think yeah it's going to be hard for the other operators to turn that around and you know they they've got their finances are not in the best shape either you know this is the problem it's not like they're in a in a great situation this year so it's going to be a real uphill struggle for them I think
0: Yeah talking about a government there's those great big sort of back bills for pre historical license fees and and all that kind of stuff that's still hanging over them um, I just think I just think it's. Inter- I mean, I don't disagree with what both of you two have said about the intrinsic advantage that, that Geo has, and and that's been clear for for a little while since it got off to such a flyer. I just think it's interesting that the likes of Amazon and Google are sniffing around the other two. It could be that it was catalysed by Facebook's investment in Geo, and maybe Geo's now. Well, it's accepted a lot more investment. It hasn't come from any other actual tech companies. It's all come from VCs and sovereign wealth funds. And all that sort of thing so maybe it's you know maybe one of the stipulations with facebook is it doesn't let any other us web scale companies invest and so they're thinking all right a if we want a piece of the action we're going to have to look elsewhere and b maybe there's a real opportunity here with with sort of relatively distressed assets in the form of those other two for us to get a really serious stake in a massive market at a bargain price so i think um Regardless of how it plays out, and I agree, the smart money is on geo. I think that sector is going to be worth keeping an eye on for a while. And I think it's probably good news for Indian consumers and good news for the Indian economy um, and arguably good news for the world to have another super populous country um, have a have a much sort of larger and more prosperous sort of middle class and, and aspiration, you know, bringing people out of poverty and, and peasant lifestyle and and. And earning a few more uh, quid or rupees, I should say. So, yeah, I agree. I think I think it's absolutely fascinating, and I am sure we'll be talking about it again. Cool. All right, then. I think I think we're more or less done. I'll take that that pause from the two of you. And say you got nothing else to interject on on India and all that jazz. And I think we've done about an hour anyway. So I'll wrap it up there. So, uh Jamie, you going round Ian's house for to have some of his bigger <laughs> beer now. Is that what's going on? Try try some of this ale that he's got. You are in. Wel-
1: you are welcome anytime, yeah. It's I think it would only be about a twenty minute walk there as well, <laughs> isn't it? It's a twenty minute walk, you can come and sit in the garden, yeah. I mean the weather's not so bad at the moment. It's up to you, mate. I'll give, I'll send you my right. postcode if you want to come over. It was it was just pissing down with rain about twenty minutes ago, so <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, anytime you want to nip over, or we can meet in Wandsworth Common and do what all the other pissheads are doing there at the moment on a regular basis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds of it, it's carnage on Wandsworth Common. It's pretty busy in the evenings. Is one bit of it, yeah, with the right. pubs sort of serving takeaway beer. Um,
0: yeah. Well, if you two if you two do meet up, I demand a Zoom call so I can at least yep. join in remotely. Yeah. Cool. Okay, all we'll right, do that. Uh, on on that note. I'll wrap it up. Um, Thank you very much for listening and make sure you join us for the next one.